Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today on Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking about a subject that we all need to be prepared for, but we don't like to talk about, and that is surgery. Being prepared for surgery, what can you do, tips that we've learned over the past four decades, and today I am with Heather Powell, and she's a good friend of mine. She's a transplant recipient, and she's a social worker. So welcome to the show, Heather. Hi, Lori. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your story so everybody knows that you are an expert on surgery. (laughs) Well, um, I was actually diagnosed when I was eight years old with um, end-stage renal disease, and that just began my journey down the path, as you all know, of numerous surgeries and procedures. Um, I began hemodialysis when I was eight, and so numerous surgeries for fistulas, switched to PD. I have done pretty much every form of dialysis that's available here in our um, community. We actually don't do nocturnal, but I've done home hemo, hemo in a clinic, peritoneal. I've done both CAPD and CCPD. I got a cadaveric kidney transplant when I was 14, and it was a blessing. It was uh, a gift that lasted for five years, and after that, I went back on dialysis, and then Ten years ago in October of this year, I was able to get a living-related donor, my mom, um, through a process of uh, the IVIG treatments, and I got her kidney, and it's been doing really well. So That's wonderful. What's your creatinine? It is staying between... One five and one seven. That's great. Well, mine's point seven. I just have to brag. <laughs> but we both went through the similar process of desensitization, and there's so much hope for people with kidney disease, um, you know, that have high antibodies. And we're testimonies to that, right? Yes, we are. So, the, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot is that, you know, preparing for surgery and what are some of the things you can do if you know you have. Uh, let's say, a living donor transplant on a certain day or, you know, you have to go in and have a hysterectomy on a certain day or you have to have a knee replacement or hip replacement. Um, So what are some of the things that you do to prepare for surgery? Yeah, well, planned surgery is always a lot easier than unplanned. So with planned, um, there's one thing that my family does, and that consists of we have what we call my go-to person, and that go-to person is the one who will be responsible for letting the rest of the family, friends, whoever needs to know what's going on, all the information that's pertinent to what's going on. And they have what we call a phone tree. So person, go-to person calls their person and it goes out from there. So that's how I prepare as far as getting family and the support I need. Support's key. Your support team. Yeah, you don't want everybody calling the hospital and texting you, how are you doing? And you're like groggy after surgery. Yeah, and you don't want like a dozen people in your room. Um, That can be overwhelming. So it's been, and I have actually a large family, so that's important for us. I always prepare my own overnight bag, so I have the stuff that I want. And what do you put in that overnight bag, Heather? Well, I have a, uh, I always try it on beforehand, like a loose gown. You know, because you have IVs and stuff hanging out, so you want to be able to cover it 
cover cover yourself well, but still be free to move around. You know, a pair of socks and stuff. You like my myself are a small person, so the footies they hand you in the hospital don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to have my own little footies or house shoes, bedroom shoes to run around in. You know, the essentials: toothbrush, toothpaste, that kind of thing, so that you can clean up when you are feeling better. And, you know, one of the things that I do is I learned this over the years of when you're packing stuff. I mean, I always like to bring something colorful with me. Um, I like, you know, colorful nightgowns. I always put a little bit of, like, moisturizer, different things, in, you know, that I like to use every day because it makes me feel better when I'm trying, you know, if I know I'm going to have a, a week's hospital stay from a recovery of a hip replacement or something like that. But one of the things I've learned that's really important is I always bring my good walking shoe or something that I feel good about walking in because you need that support. Like you have your slippers and that doesn't always work when you have to, you know, I guess I'm getting older and I need good support. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> And something you feel comfortable in walking. Like, I work at the hospital that I'm usually admitted at. And so it's a whole different ballgame being a professional on the floor offering the advice versus the patient who's in their nightgown around all the people I work with. I know. I guess that's kind of weird. Like, hi, I don't feel my best or look my best right now. I, I want to look decent um, when I'm, because you want to get up and walk after surgery. You want to move, get your body back moving and so you can get back on your feet as quickly as possible. Yes, it's it's true. I mean, one of my friends, whatever she takes to the hospital, she d- disposes of when she's finished. I mean, other than washing things, but like toothbrush, anything that she, she brings, she throws away because she's like worried about infection. And what do you think about that? Do you ever do that? I haven't gone that far, but maybe I should. Well, I buy the little, you know, you can get the travel size um, toothbrush, toothpaste, all that mouthwash. So I get that and bring it. And so generally... If, it's, if I'm not done with it, I do just toss it. And one of the things that um, I think is a really serious issue when you're preparing for surgery, I mean, this is preparing for the hospital, but is, you know, when they say don't eat after a certain time, it's really important. I actually had a friend who did not listen to that and had some serious complications. Yeah. You want a really good relationship with your doctor so you can you know, ask those questions that concern you before you ever get there and then follow their direction to a T. You know, I, I love my surgeon. I've been with him for a number of years and I really like the fact that I can say, hey, to me, I like to be early. Because, you know, MPO after midnight, if you're at 8 a.m., that's pretty easy to do. But right. if it's at noon the next day, that gets harder. So I like to go, if, if you can manage it, to go the earliest possible and have that early slot, and thus far they've been very accommodating. You know, things happen sometimes. You get bumped to other emergencies, but generally speaking, you can plan that too. Well, yeah, because it, it is. It's so important, and I mean, I've been bumped, and then you're at, you know, your surgery's at 3 or 4 o'clock, and, you know, you have your sip of water, but it's it's pretty difficult, but it's so important not to eat. And, I mean, I've, I've heard where people like, oh, I'll just have a little bit, and, you know, a sip of water here and there, but you can actually die from eating. And you want to find out beforehand what medications you need to take that you have to take and right. which ones that are fine not to take. Like for me, they've always suggested that, you know, you take a little water, you take your transplant meds. But some of the other meds, I mean, if you're on a lot of blood pressure meds, you really have to talk to them because you're going to be under anesthesia 
and that can make your blood pressure drop. And they have to be aware of what you're taking and what you're not taking. Yeah, the, the surgery could get postponed if perhaps you didn't take something you needed to take prior to or vice versa if you took something you shouldn't take before surgery. Now, one of the things they're doing all the time is like you have to have your blood drawn. And this has happened a couple of times. I, I had a hysterectomy a year and a half ago. But I've had to have an extra blood test because, you know, they send over my kidney lab work and they need a pregnancy test now. Um, and I always, they're like, oh, sorry, we got to do a pregnancy test. Blood test. I'm like, I know I'm not pregnant, but they got to draw blood. And every time they draw blood, it's like an issue now when it's an extra blood draw because it's, I'm not an easy stick and they need a clotting time. Um, a lot, of, and, and some of these things are sometimes missed. So it's always good for you as a patient to say, look, am I getting all the blood tests I need and ask the surgeon because, you know, I used to think, oh, the, my um, general physician, my nephrologist, who's my primary care, will just send over my lab values. But now they need some extra ones, and it's good to be aware of that so you don't get that extra stick. Yeah. Oh, that is, yeah, that is my thing. And then you have to wait an hour. Like, you know, like, oh, we're doing a pregnancy test. I'm like, but, you know, they're waiting an hour more now because, you know, I'm like, look, I'm not pregnant. I, I know that. <laughs> I promise, yeah. And they, they don't want to take your word for it. They want that test. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because I've seen the protocols change. Now, I don't know if you do this, but I've, I'm a little strange because I used to sell medical products, and one of them was a dialysis catheter, and I would go into surgery with surgeons and, you know, educate them about proper placement of dialysis catheters. And what I learned is that, you know, there's a whole culture of healthcare professionals who are in surgery and I've witnessed like some of them really get along and some of them kind of just you could tell they don't like each other and I want the best environment possible. So when I go into surgery now, I ask the anesthesiologist to play music I like and they always accommodate me and I always ask for the Eagles because the Eagles... (laughs) The Eagles is like, you know, everybody loves the Eagles. Who doesn't love the Eagles? And it sets the tone for the mood. And then I think it makes, uh, and, and maybe you can relate to this, Heather. I mean, the longer you're a patient, the more you can make people see you as a person, not just a, another patient. It, it, you know, because it does. It gets, you know, oh, one surgery after another. How can you make yourself memorable? Yeah. One thing I do like to do is, you know, they come in, they know your name, they have your chart. I like to learn their name, who's going to be the, you know, the nurse taking care of me, the one putting me under, just so, you know, if you happen to need something before you're totally out, you, you can holler a name instead of, hey, nurse, you know. That's more personable. So if you make it personable, I think that helps too. And I had several PD catheters, like, moved around, and one time they took a catheter and they took it out. It was in a space that I wanted and they had to move it another place. This was in the 90s, or excuse me, in the 80s. And uh, they put it, they didn't put it where I wanted it. So I learned pretty early on. I just put a note on my stomach. I've done that too. You know, I'll give them instructions, what I want to do, where I want it, what, you know, you, you have to be creative. And I think they actually appreciate it. They're this kind of, you know, they know you're being your own advocate. So if you ever having a knee replacement, just put a really nice note on the knee you want replaced and say, not the other one, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my surgeon had told me, yeah, be sure and remind me because there had been, you know, the Tinkoff catheters there for a while were, there were different styles. There was one that was really long, and I was like, 
when, when you put it in, and I'd like it in this general area, can we cut it down some? He said, well, just remind me. I'm thinking, okay, great, I'll remind you. Well, then the day of the surgery, guess when I'm going to see him? When I'm asleep. Right. So I left a little post-it note on my stomach with the directions and said, hey, remember what we talked about. <laughs> did you have to remind you just have to re- Did you say, just remember what we talked about, or did you have to remind him of what he talked about? <laughs> I, I added my little note. Oh, okay. He didn't wake you up and say, wait a second, give her the reverse anesthesia. I got to remember what she said. The nurse actually said that's the first time she had seen him crack a smile in surgery. Oh, really? I mean... You know, it is it is interesting. You know, you have to break through the barriers of um, healthcare professionals, and I think you know it's it's this is a great way to do it because, in reality, I've had some of the best surgeons in the world, but they don't have a lot of patient contact in the same regard as like your nephrologists. You know, they're they're most of their time is spent with people who were, you know, asleep. Yes, unconscious. That's how they're used to dealing with it too. Exactly. Now, one of the things when you go into surgery, and I think this is important too, is, um, and I learned this the hard way, is that over the years, I've gotten different types of arthritis. And if I'm having a long surgery, I ask them if they can put me on some kind of foam or something like that. Because, um, yeah, this is just, and it happened because I had a surgery one time. I was so sore from actually, you know, being on the hard table, the achiness, the moving. And um, the surgeon told me, oh, you know, we got to do another surgery. We'll just put, you know, make it more comfortable for you. And I didn't know that. I mean, not every surgery can do that. It depends on which kind. I've had over 40 plus surgeries. So um, from knees to hips, I mean, I'm the queen of parts, you know, four kidney transplants. But, um, you know, even your neck, I mean, if you have neck problems, tell them you need extra support on your neck. Um, I didn't know that. I learned something new today. <laughs> because, it, it, you know, especially if it's a longer surgery and then you wake up and and you feel a little bit, you know, worse than you, you should have felt. <laughs> We um, all you, had that waking up after surgery and being so sore, wondering what in the world did they really do to you when you're under. So uh, no, I know it's um it's pretty amazing some of the different medication. Uh, last about a couple of years ago, I had a hysterectomy and they used that um, Da Vinci machine on me where they actually you know it's like a robotic type of machine, and I, I just learned this recently, but I was actually awake. For part of that surgery. But I was very aware. I didn't feel, I felt like I was part of a science experience. I mean, I, I had post-traumatic stress. I don't know what happened, but it was just really traumatic. And recently I saw a, a, another physician. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm having surgery again. And I'm really kind of afraid because the hysterectomy went really well. My kidney wasn't damaged. So I didn't want to complain about somewhat being awake, but it was traumatizing. And the surgeon told me that, you know, uh, well, when, in that particular situation, when they're using that machine, they paralyze you um, more than put you to sleep. And so it's sometimes hard to see when you're waking up because, you know, when they're using that, um, the Da Vinci machine is where the, the doctor uses their eyes and they move the equipment through this uh, uh, innovative technology. They have to make sure you don't move a, 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 a centimeter. <laughs> and so the anesthesia that they use is more of a paralyzing type of anesthesia 
whereas, um, you know, you're kind of waking up, the anesthesiologist might see you move under normal anesthesia, but this is a different type of anesthesia. And, you know, I just thought, oh, all anesthesia is normal. (laughs) It's the same. So you didn't know that going into the surgery? Well, I, I didn't really think it out. You know, once he explained it to me, he it made more sense, but they said, yes, we're going to give you some, you know, medication. But, you know, I didn't really understand the world paralysis and that you could possibly wake up during surgery. And yes, it was uh, uh, interesting to just learn like, yeah, it makes sense now, <laughs> but you're not really thinking of the medication. It was scary. Yeah, going through it. I, um, it wasn't really explained to me or maybe it was and I didn't comprehend it at the time. I think that's important, too, to know what to expect right before, during, and after. Um, you know, when you wake up, I had a, I had to have a bypass surgery after the transplant um, because of the numerous ports I've had in for dialysis. The um, fluid wasn't moving freely in my upper body. And it, I, you know, they cracked her chest up in the whole bit. I did not realize, no one told me, that I would wake up on a vent. Right. And that was very scary. So, you know, on this end of it, I would definitely go in asking questions. What is it going to look like when I wake up? Is there going to be ventilator, IVs? You know, what should I expect? Because that can help alleviate that fear. Well, did they know that you might be on a vent or it was just actually um, that they found it after they went in? It's pretty much part of the surgery. Okay. Because I, I ended up on a vent after my third transplant. Um, it was supposed to be more routine and not routine, but, uh, yeah, I, a couple of days later I woke up on a ventilator and it's, it's frightening. I mean, because if you've never experienced being on a ventilator, it's, you know, you can't talk, you can like grunt and, you know, you can grunt and cry. That's what I remember doing. And it's a very frustrating type of feeling and, um, Luckily, it's for your benefit. It really does help you get better. And um, it's usually short term. But it can be extremely frightening. And, you know, you want to cough the ventilator tube out. And it's uh, it's it's not a fun, fun feeling. But um, we're both survivors. And that third transplant that, you know, I ended up on a vent lasted 20 years. So maybe that extra help made it work. Yeah. Well, and I found that the nurses not meaning to, but they would talk about you over you. They never talked to me. Right. So when my when my dad finally gave me a pen and paper, it was a great gift because I was alert. I just, you know, was on the vent and couldn't talk. So I wanted to communicate, and I wanted them to communicate to me what was going on. So that's important. So let's talk a little bit when you wake up from surgery and, you know, all the crazy things that they want you to do or not do and the reason for it. <laughs> now, when I wake up from surgery, I don't know about you, but I'm usually starving. <laughs> yeah, starving and grouchy. <laughs> starving and grouchy. And um, and I always have a really pretty good tolerance for eating after surgery. And sometimes I have to force them, like, come on, give me more graham crackers. Give me more apple juice. Give me more, because you're so hungry. And um, But it's, it's really important to kind of pace yourself and... And at the same time, I mean, when your body's hungry, you're hungry. So you need to sometimes fight to get more food. <laughs> I've, I've had to do that. Like, I need more food. <laughs> yeah, their protocol is not to give you anything solid. 
until after you've eaten some ice chips and you're, you know, passing gas and your bowels are moving again. So that's, that's a really tough situation to be in when, you're, when you know, I've done so many surgeries. Yeah, if you'll just give me some crackers, I promise it'll be okay. And they don't want to do that. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like over the years I know myself, but it is, it's, I mean, it's not a pleasant thing, but the biggest problem after surgery is getting your bowels to move because you can have some serious problems if, if that doesn't work. Yeah. And the pain medication slows everything down. So, um, I've, I've had some friends that have had really serious, I actually had one friend pass away um, it was devastating because um, she had a bowel obstruction after surgery because of the fact that the bowels didn't get to move and then they perforated and she got peritonitis and um, she had had a transplant and she couldn't fight the, um, she was immunosuppressed. So she just, it was so sad. And, you know, not that, I don't know if there was anything that could have been done differently, but you have to know the signs of, of, um, of, you know, not having a bowel movement and it's, it's important. Yeah. And the best thing is to get up and move. <laughs> yeah. Moving, it, it's, it's painful, but you've got to do it. You got to move through the pain. Well, when I had both of my knees replaced, cause I, I like to say this joke that, you know, they had a buy one, get one free special. So I decided to go for it. I, I love sales. They got me up the same day of surgery and made me stand up. And the next day, I had to walk with them. I thought I was going to die. And it, it was explained to me that, you know, look, you know, it's just the pain, but the knee itself is like, you know, it's like building a house. You finish a room and you can use it the next day or the same time when it's finished. <laughs> and so the knee replacement, it's like, it's just the pain, but, you know, it's not going to crack or something because it's it's solid. And it was... It was very painful. I, I remember um, the pain doctor was my favorite doctor. <laughs> pain management, is he, when's he going to be around? Which brings me to another topic of pain management. And I've had this happen to me. I have a transplant. Um, we're not supposed to take non-steroidal medication. And we have to sometimes really make that clear when you're not, you may go to the same hospital, I go to different ones. But um, have you ever had that experience where you have to really explain that you can't have non-steroidal medication? So yes, I have had that experience in uh, a test that needed dye. And the staff was actually telling me, hey, it's okay, it won't hurt your kidney. But um, I made them call my doctor while I was there, laying on the table, waiting for him to tell me it was okay or not. Right. Contrast, I mean, I, I've had different MRIs. And uh, my physician orders a lot of them without, con you know, I, I had to have one with contrast because I was having a hysterectomy. But, um, you know, basically no contrast is, is you know, an option. Yeah, it is. It's not their preferred, but if it's what's going to save the function of your kidney, then fight for it. Yes, definitely. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about is food. Now, you're... you're you basically get that wonderful little menu. And one thing that's really nice about some of the hospitals, there's different ones around us, but some of them just put that tray in front of you. And then some of the hospitals are switching where you get a menu and you order food when you want it, which is really nice. I mean, because, you know, you're like, oh, I think I'm hungry at 2 o'clock, not at 12. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, there's a couple of them that switch. They've actually 
realize that they don't waste as much food if they just give the patient what they want when they want it. What a concept. But um, Yeah, we don't have that here, Lori. <laughs> well, maybe it's going to come your way because I'm like, you know, I think I want some soup and a turkey sandwich. And, you know, 30 minutes later, they'd bring it up to me. Yeah. Um, but that would can be you, nice. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it's still hospital food, but it, it is nice to get food when you want it. And then sometimes it was frustrating because it's like, oh, it's breakfast and I'm hungry. And uh, it took a little longer because everybody wanted breakfast. Um, but can you explain a little bit about maybe different diet options and if you have a specialty type of diet, the differences in some of the diets? Yeah, I mean, well, and one good thing, anytime there's questions to oh, my nephrologist has a dietitian with him. So anytime I have questions, concerns about a certain food or a new fad, um, well, let me back up. I don't diet. I don't go on any of these diet fads that are out there. I follow um, basically what I did as a dialysis patient, except a lot more liberally, because you can have more as a transplant patient. But I still watch my sodium. Because with high blood pressure, you know, I don't want to do anything that could cause any problem for my new kidney. So I watch sodium. I'm careful with sugar just because when you're on steroids, um, steroid-induced diabetes is a risk. Um, I haven't gotten there, but it's always in the back of my mind because the longer you're on them, the more likely you are to become diabetic. And I want to... Not do that if at all possible. <laughs> I don't want another illness. I don't blame you. <laughs> when you know, when you're in the hospital, you know, you get food delivered to you, and it may or may not be within your guidelines. I mean, let's for, say, for instance, is that I'm a transplant patient, so they gave me a dialysis diet, and and you know, one of the things, and I don't know if your doctor says this, but the critical thing about recovering from any surgery is having a good albumin and eating. I mean, you need good protein to recover from any type of um, surgery. And so you have to um, be your own advocate and, you know, jump on that immediately because um, it's, it's, it's important to eat well when you're, you know, even when you go home. I mean, the best way to help recover is to eat quality food. Yeah. Exactly. And your mom is a great cook. I know that. She's. <laughs> yes, she is. Well, one good thing is, you know, when you're in the hospital, you have that access to a dietitian. Yes. And sometimes some of them are more educated than others, I will say. That's true. Um, we're actually lucky we have a renal dietitian who's really good. Um, I can call her, again, talking as working here, I can call her anytime with questions for patients, and she has information that she gets together for them. So that's a really good deal. Um, start with your doctor too. You know, it's in their best interest to help you get to the right person so that you can follow the right diet you need. And it is because, you know, if you get a diet that's full of um, phosphorus because they didn't put renal food down, um, a renal diet down, and you end up getting all this food that you shouldn't have, um, it doesn't mean that they're like letting you splurge that day. It just means they didn't check off a box. And, um, and the second thing I think that's really important, and I don't know if you do this, but I always took my transplant medications and my phosphate binders medications with me when I was in the hospital. And the reason being is that they don't always get there when you want them. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, the pharmacy's going to bring them in six hours. And, um, I would just go ahead and take my own meds. And that's probably not 
you know, I mean, they don't like you to bring your own meds in, but my transplant meds and my phosphate binders were critical. And phosphate binders, you have to take them when you eat. So you have to tell the nurse that, not when she does rounds. Right. They don't like to get off their schedule. I'm with you. I bring my own. There's one immunosuppressant I'm on that they do not have the milligram that I take here at the hospital. So I bring my own, and my doctor just writes an order that I'm allowed to take my own medication. There's sometimes you have to, you know, be, like you said, be your own best advocate and go on and say, I know your policy, but I have to take it at this time, and it's this amount. Yes, definitely. Well, you know, I think, Heather, this is some great information for, you know, what people should expect. And, um, you know, you might have good TV. You might not have good TV. You might be sharing a room. You might not be sharing a room. I actually prefer a hospital that has private rooms. You know, there's different hospitals in our area. One hospital has, you know, you could possibly get a private room. But then there's an option of sharing because they have two different wings, a new built wing and an old wing. And then there's another hospital that all the rooms are private. And so that's my hospital of preference, and my doctor's there, too. I but agree I'm, with you. Private's it, better. <laughs> you, well, yeah, you, you know, but you don't always know that. And, you know, one of the things, too, that was recently brought to my attention because, um, and, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, so there's hospitals. I was, like, three in my town, so it's much different for probably smaller areas. And then I have a town next to me that has a you know, hospital, is that um, – if, you, if the ambulance ever has to pick you up, they're going to take you to the closest hospital unless you can convince them otherwise, which I have done on occasion. And, you know, you need to be prepared with that. You need to have list of medications always with you. Um, all the things that you can do to be as prepared as possible. In addition, I always bring like a one sheet when I'm having surgery of my history. And I bring it when I'm, you know, I just have it with me so that people can become very familiar when they are taking care of you, because it might not be your own physician. Yeah, yeah, I just keep that in my purse, and my mom actually has a copy, too, so that if I'm, for some reason, not able to communicate for myself, she has it. She has it, and and, and also, uh, and I just learned this, too, is that, you know, they're so strict with HIPAA now, is that you have to have somebody, you know, make decisions for you. They have to have the paperwork, to be able to communicate, my mom has some healthcare issues that they won't even give me her lab number unless I fax over her permission to give me a certain lab number. And she can't always remember when they tell her what it is. So I'm like, can't you give me your, no, I need your, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, it just makes it so complicated. So it's really important to have your advanced directives and all the things you need ahead of time so that you can be prepared. Yeah. Well, well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing this information. Hopefully, we'll never have to have another surgery. We'll never have to use this information. But hopefully, others will benefit from it. I hope so, too. Good to talk to you, Lori. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.